The Gospels of Matthew and Luke tell the story of Jesus' birth in very different ways, and it can be kind of fun to set them side by side to compare and to contrast. For instance, the Gospel of Matthew is the middle-class gospel. Matthew tells the story of Jesus' birth, of course, from Joseph's perspective, and Mary is in the background with little more than a walk-on roll. And in Matthew's Gospel, Joseph and Mary are not visiting Bethlehem when Jesus is born. They live there. They're not from Nazareth. They're from Bethlehem. You know, of course, that Joseph is a successful tradesman who makes his living hammering together bookshelves and kitchen tables for rich people. And he has a pleasant little house in Bethlehem in a nice neighborhood. And that's where Jesus is born in Matthew, in a house, not a stable. In Matthew, Jesus' first worshipful congregation are visiting dignitaries from Babylon. Back home, they occupy department chairs in places like Harvard, MIT, and Penn. And so it's possible that Matthew's first congregation was filled up with prosperous parishioners who come from stereotypical families with two parents, two kids, a golden retriever, a picket fence, and good jobs. Luke, on the other hand, is the anti-Matthew. Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth from Mary's perspective, and it's Joseph who has but a walk-on role, and Mary, of course, is an unwed teenage mother. She is probably 14 years old. She probably became a woman months before she got pregnant. Not to put too fine a point on it, Jesus is illegitimate. With sketchy prenatal planning, Mary and Joseph find themselves on the road when the labor pains begin. And when they finally get to the tiny town of Bethlehem, they find it's filled up with visitors registering for Caesar's sinister census. And they can't find themselves an Airbnb to save their lives. And so Mary delivers Jesus in a stable and lays him in a manger so the donkey won't step on him. In Luke, Jesus' first worshipful congregation are not intellectuals with PhDs in astronomy. They're shepherds from the nearby fields. Some of the most scorned citizens of first century Palestine. Shepherds spent many months living in the fields with their... They smelled like sheep. Judges and lawyers distrusted shepherds so passionately that shepherds were not allowed to testify in a court of law. And so it's possible that Luke's first congregation was not full of prosperous parishioners, but with people of more modest resources. Blue-collar people, Uber drivers, day laborers, others from the gig economy. And Luke wants to know, Luke wants his first congregation to know that Jesus came for them too. In fact, Luke wants them to know that Jesus came for them primarily. Bible scholars are fond of talking about Luke's powerful, pointed, pervasive, pronounced, persistent, peculiar preference for the poor, the pitiful, and the persecuted. Today, of course, Bethlehem is in the West Bank, 45 miles from Gaza. In a creche there in Bethlehem today, Jesus wears a Palestinian keffiyeh. And his major manger is constructed not of hay, but of broken bricks. A Lutheran pastor there says, Today God can be found beneath the rubble of Gaza. That's where we look for God today. 
It's actually not too far from the point Luke was trying to make in his gospel. And so it's clear that Matthew is our gospel, right? Matthew is the one that's writing for us. We're all from stereotypical families with two parents and two kids and a golden retriever and a picket fence and good jobs in Wilmette and Winneka and the Loop. Some of us have PhDs. Some of us have JDs. Some of us have MDs. Some of us have MBAs. It's Matthew who's writing for us. Still, we listen hard to Luke's Christmas story every year, right? In fact, it may be our favorite And we're learning about Luke's preference for the poor there. Let me tell you about one day in my life recently, and then I'll quit, and we can all light candles and sing Silent Night and go home. A week ago Wednesday, a bunch of us went down to Altgeld Gardens in Chicago's far south side, 132nd Street. Altgeld Gardens is about as far south as you can go, and still be in Chicago. And so Katie went, and Sarah went, and John went. Becky and Lester were there, Laura and Dana were there, Elizabeth was there, George was there, Mark and Margot Bowen were there, a bunch of others. Now, Elkgeld Gardens is a community of modest means. They sometimes call it a toxic donut, a toxic donut because it's completely surrounded by railroad tracks and expressways and abandoned factories. The soil is so polluted you can't grow anything there. It's also sometimes called a food desert. A food desert because the nearest grocery store is five miles away and nobody has any cars. And so because of Mark and Margot Bowen and others, you, you all, donated a million dollars to an organization called By the Hand so that they can construct a vertical garden in an ordinary shipping container down there. Pretty soon, this ordinary shipping container will be filled with towers of water and light to grow vegetables. And someday soon, the people that buy the hand will be able to grow as many vegetables in this ordinary shipping container as you could on four acres of farmland. And so now, for the first time since it was founded in 1946, Altgelt Gardens will actually have a garden. We went down there a while back because, by the way, um, By the Hand uh, runs an after-school program for the kids of Altgelt Gardens. And we went down there to meet some of their splendid teachers, and we met the ninth grader who traveled all the way to Boston to learn how to maintain a vertical garden where he will one day grow four acres worth of vegetables. It's all because of you. So I went down to Altgeld Gardens on December 13. Took me 90 minutes to get there and 90 minutes to get back. And when I finally got back to my office in the late afternoon, there was a letter on my desk. I haven't seen one of these things for a long time. Not junk mail, not bills, but a letter addressed to me and a genuine envelope with a stamp. You remember what those are? This letter was from St. Paul AME Church in Glencoe, the corner of Washington Avenue and Green Bay Road, Glencoe African Methodist Episcopal Church. St. Paul has been there since 1884. It's older than Kenilworth Union Church. Arsonists burned their first church to the ground 
1930. And they built their second church of, out of wood from the condemned homes of Italian Americans and African Americans who had to abandon their houses so they could build a parkway on Vernon Avenue. So this brick church is their third spiritual home. This was built in the 1990s, which wasn't so long ago. And so they still have a substantial mortgage on this property. And you are paying their mortgage. And we will pay that mortgage at least for as long as I'm here. Because Kenilworth Union wants to make sure St. Paul is there for at least another 139 years. And this letter that they sent me said that St. Paul AME wants to give Kenilworth Union their Distinguished Service Award. And they want to present it to us on January 14, the day before Martin Luther King Day. And I'm going to receive it that day on your behalf. And they want to give us this award because, get this, St. Paul AME thinks Kenilworth Union embodies Dr. King's values. Could, could people like us possibly get a richer compliment than that? You know, I haven't talked to the pastor about this award yet, but when I do talk to her, I'm going to tell her, you know, Pastor Hayes, Kenilworth Union Church is the whitest institution you will ever get to know. You can't imagine how Caucasian we are. Now, that's not an apology. That's just an observation. You're going to say, Pastor Hayes, do you think it's wise to give such white people a Martin Luther King Award? And I know what she's going to say to me. She's going to, to say, damn straight I do. My best friend lives in Lake George, New York, and he checks in with me by phone every couple of weeks. And he happened to call just as I was finished reading this letter. And he said, so Bill, how you doing? And I said, Phil, I couldn't possibly be better. And he said, wow, what's going on? And I wanted to tell him about dedicating those beautiful towers of water and light in Altgeld Gardens. And I wanted to tell him about the letter I just received, but I was so choked up with pride, I could barely get the words out. It's all because of you. It's all because of your generosity. It's all because every Christmas you listen hard to Luke's Christmas story, the story of the birth of Jesus, who showed up first for those who have almost nothing. O Lord of every path and passageway, door and key and bridge across the abyss, flashlight in the darkness, blackouts candle. He is the Lord of every path and passageway, and he will deliver us across this bridge over the abyss to new worlds of thought. He might take us to places that we're not so sure we want to go. He might take us to places where we're not so much at home, where we think we might not belong. But he will light our path every step of the way with his spectacular light. And when we get there, we will fall down to our knees and worship, just like those modest shepherds from so long ago.